Don't Wreck Yourself features words and situations that are not appropriate for young listeners. This show is only for adults and unsupervised juvenile delinquents of exquisite taste and refinement. Each week, our hosts look into claims they find online, answer your questions, and say bad words. Now your way is the only way, and my way is the only way to build a space between a hard place and a rock is all we do. But we'll entertain the conversation that leads us to the truth. What do we know? What trips to telephones that are no different to you. Welcome to Don't Wreck Yourself. My name's Ryan Placetti, and I'm here to disentangle you from the Gordian knot of the Internet's bullshit. And I am Ian Malden. I'm a co-host and producer for Shrimp and Crits podcast. Thanks for having me. Which happens to be one of my favorite shows. Aww. Ian is also leaving out a, a very crucial credit as far as this podcast is concerned. He has been <laughs> editing a bunch of our episodes. If our quality seems to have improved, there is only one person that can be credited, and that's Ian. Because I'm not getting any better at this. <laughs> <laughs> you probably are. Sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are creating content that just isn't good, which brings us to our first topic. <laughs> I found this on r slash random thoughts. Posted by user Junk Lardass. I mean, they, they certainly have a certain view of themselves that I, I feel uncomfortable reinforcing. <laughs> but if that's if that's how they see themselves, so be it. Yeah, yeah. Take care of yourself, Junk Lardass. <laughs> if you're if you're listening right now, <laughs> do some self care, whatever that means to you. <laughs> the question is: Did you ever find a movie so disturbing you regretted seeing it? And, you know, there's some context here, but it's, it's not really important. They're just talking about some movies that they saw from Korea, which are irrelevant. Ian, have you seen any movie so disturbing you regretted seeing it? I mean, so like recency bias, I just saw I actually really liked this movie, so it's a bad example, but I, it was very disturbing. I saw the movie Bo is Afraid. Have you seen this film? Is that like a continuation of the Bo Peep story? <laughs> no, no. Like she's lost her sheep and she's got a certain set of skills to find them. <laughs> and she's afraid. And she's afraid. <laughs> uh, no, Bo's Afraid is a is made by Ari Aster, who also did Midsommar and um, Hereditary. So he's known for his horror, although this is more of like a psychological thriller meets comedy. It's got Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. But the, whole, the whole thing is like viscerally uncomfortable. I think I think I love the movie. It's a little bit too long, but it did make me very uncomfortable. <laughs> it was I was very disturbed by it. <laughs> For me, and it's funny, I, I saw this topic and just and threw it into the mix because right before we started recording, I was telling you about the long lasting trauma that the first hostile film had on me. Uh, some of the graphic torture scenes have stuck with me because I and I and here I literally I was I was in Iraq at like in a war zone and and some of the most disturbing stuff I saw was the was the footage from Hostel. <laughs> <It's, laughs> so when, when when you're at war and the and the movies that you're watching are overshadowing the horrors of war, maybe tone it down. <laughs> uh, Who's that? Eli Roth, I think, directed that. <laughs> Damn, Eli. A little bit more recently, uh, uh, did I find a movie so disturbing that I regretted seeing it? Most of the DC, uh, like DC Universe stuff, probably. 
I thought Man of Steel was terrible. We were 15 minutes into that movie watching Russell Crowe ride a dinosaur on Krypton. I'm like, we have lost the thread. <laughs> I've spared myself the most of the DC films. You didn't see Kevin Costner nobly sacrifice himself to keep Clark's secret <laughs> completely unnecessarily? Maybe, unfortunately, I missed that. Maybe I need to revisit. <laughs> I, I, like, I, don't get what the, I don't get what the obsession is with uh, Zack Snyder's version of the DC universe. Like he messed up the most basic elements of the of the Superman comics in that, like our backstory for Superman is, you know, mom and dad putting him on a rocket and then blasting him off into outer space. And then in the background, Krypton explodes. That's the whole backstory. You understand it. It's baby Moses getting sent, getting sent down the river. And then on Earth, you know, they have the, they have this whole thing where Clark has superpowers and they've got to keep it a secret. That's fine. I I, I respect that. And. In the comics and in the original Superman film, Pa Kent, you know, clutches his chest and keels over and dies. That's heartbreaking because Superman, for all of his power, cannot save his father, which is why in Man of Steel, when Kevin Costner, I guess, runs out to save the family dog and then the tornado is way too close and Clark can totally save him. And Kevin Costner waves him off like, no, we've got to keep your secret. It's just like, (laughs) but he could save him from that. (laughs) Yeah, that is not the horror that like that. Like Superman just watched his dad die for no reason. (laughs) Like there's so many ways that he could have saved his dad that that and that that whole movie was completely self-defeating. Well, I'm I'm just not sure why. Uh, everyone wants to make Superman a villain. Everyone wants to corrupt Superman uh, in their, you know, in their discourse about these superhero movies. When like, which is wild to me because like the Goody Two Shoes Cap character, not Cap, my co-host, who your listeners I'm sure know very well yeah. right now, but well, Cap, he is also a Goody Two Shoes. <laughs> he is. He is. He fancies himself a bad boy, but. <laughs> No, he's not. No, he's not. Um, yeah, but when C- Cap, as such a, a dorky goody two shoes, works so well for the MCU, so why can't why can't they make that work? Yeah. in the DCU, I don't. I don't understand. I I think because Captain America started off like punching Nazis. I guess Superman started off punching Nazis too. Like they both have a back, like a strong back, like their resume. It's just filled with Nazi punching references. <laughs> yeah, the first movie in, in Captain America, in the Captain America trilogy, I would say is one of the most underrated superhero movies of that of that of that saga. One of the reasons is it really leaned into his corny backstory. They were like, "We're gonna make you know yeah. you as this propaganda figure part of the the cinematic story," which is kind of cool. Yeah, and it's and it's great because they made everyone around Captain America cynical. You know, the decision to the the decision of how to utilize him is completely cynical, but he's so gosh darn honest and good <laughs> that he he shines through and becomes the beacon of hope that they need. Whereas Superman, everyone's just like he's definitely the villain. I honestly, I think it's just DC just banking on darkness because there's a there's a fantastic meme running around a while ago. And it was, it's 1989. I'm 10 years old. A new, darker, grittier Batman film is in the theaters. <laughs> and then, and then it's just like, it's 2007. A new, grittier Batman movie's in the theaters. <laughs> and then it's 2020. A new, grittier Batman <laughs> movie's in the theater. Like they just keep 
getting darker and darker and darker. And it's just like, you know, there's other ways, there's other directions that you could take this. Um, though that being said, I didn't, I did really enjoy the Batman movie. I did not regret seeing that. Oh, it's my favorite Batman movie. Um, it might be a hot take, but, um, I think it's the most true to the character. I think it's a fair take. Yeah. I think it was interesting. They explored an element of Batman that other iterations didn't in the same way that I thought Christian Bale's Batman was phenomenal sure. for the same reasons, because it explored aspects of the character that hadn't been done before. Mm-hmm. And you could say the same for Ben Affleck's version of Batman because nobody's ever explored if Batman just murdered a whole bunch of fucking people. <laughs> and, here, yeah. and, and he did. <laughs> because it's like not his character. <laughs> They're like, oh, the Batmobile with the machine guns and the missiles, right? <laughs> but I will say my coworker and I, if we're pissed off at work, we will uh, cheer ourselves up by singing that that Nirvana song that plays over Pattinson's Batman, the something in the way. Oh. <laughs> Just walk around they, with a they, brooding didn't face. They use the same one for the Defenders on uh, the Netflix series. Oh, I totally forgot if they did. I need to go. I need to revisit that. The most recent movie that I saw that was uh, so disturbing that I regretted seeing it was Ant-Man Quantumania. <laughs> and I love Paul Rudd and I love the Ant-Man character. And I really like how kind of schlocky and goofy the movies are. Yeah. And this was just a big giant CGI mess. Like yeah. I have no idea what was going on in that film. <laughs> Apparently there's tiny people living in the quantum realm and there's this whole other thing going on down there, but they never actually explain how the tiny people got to the quantum realm because they established pretty clearly that, that Michelle Pfeiffer's character and uh, so spoiler alert, um, Jonathan Major's character, AKA Kang, the conqueror, are like alone down there and they rebuild his ship and she realizes that he's a bad guy and like sabotages the ship. And then he conquers the quantum realm and all the people in it. It's just like, well, what people they're just alone in the dark down there. And they never explained where all these damn people come from. <laughs> this is the hot take I got for you. I love the, <laughs> I love the movie and I recognize it's a flawed movie, but I am, su- I'm a sucker for cosmic Marvel and all the weird baggage that comes with it. So like, I ate it. I uh-huh. ate the whole movie up. I was like, ooh, yummy. Ooh, yummy weirdness. We don't have to care about these people because they're just <laughs> in a tiny little world and we'll never see them again. And that's totally OK <laughs> with me. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Like I wasn't I wasn't mad. I was just I was just a little bit sad because I expected so much less, I guess. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Ghostbusters reboot with uh, Melissa McCarthy, the all female Ghostbusters reboot. That that one was distur- so disturbingly bad that I regretted seeing it, which is a shame because I thought I thought the casting choices they made were brilliant. I, I think there's no reason that cast should have made a movie that failed. Yeah. Oh, y- so that's yeah. My hot take. The Cats movie. I watched the Cats movie expecting it to be one of those <laughs> like this is so bad I'm entertained. But no, it wasn't even that. It was just horrendous. It was just terrifying. Did you at least have the opportunity to see the fabled butthole cut? No, no, we didn't even get the butthole cut, which I, w- <laughs> I w- I'll watch it again. If if I can find the butthole, somebody send me email. Uh, what is your what's your, uh, we are wreck your pod at Gmail dot com and I will forward it to the shrimp and crits email for you. <laughs> yes, yes. I want to see the butthole cut. I will pay nothing. But from what I, I understand, it. it's the definitive version. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, if there was a butthole cut of anything, it would be the. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the butthole cut of Ant-Man Quantumania. <laughs> That's what everyone wanted Endgame to be, right? We all know what everyone, how everyone yeah, it's, wanted it's Ant-Man to defeat Thanos. It's just all naked all the time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and if you want to see the butthole cut of this episode, you have to sign up for our Patreon. <laughs> It's entirely possible that our listeners may have actually stumbled across an episode so disturbing that they regret seeing it, which brings us to our next topic. This is from r slash explain it like I'm five, which is a forum on Reddit where the goal is to explain in the simplest terms possible complicated issues. In this one, user outcome independent writes, explain it like I'm five. How does a tug of war accident sever somebody's arms? <laughs> so am I allowed to laugh? <laughs> am I allowed to laugh at that? You, you, I, you, you're allowed to laugh, but I think it'd be rude to clap. <laughs> I did look into it. And actually, there were, there were some really great clues in the comments. I normally don't dip too far into the comments, but user Dark Almond posted a fantastic clip that told a story that hits a little bit close to home for me about a June 13th, 1978 Harrisburg middle school tug of war that went terribly wrong. So the basic details provided in the, in the comment were 12 minutes into the match, 2000 foot long braided nylon rope snapped recoiling several thousand pounds of stored energy. So they, 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 they've got a quote from a student that says, I smelled something burning and I thought it was the rope, but it was hands. I looked down and saw blood. In the ensuing chaos, nearly 200 students lay wounded, five with severed fingertips and one missing a thumb. Hundreds more faced second degree burns. It was just a game, another student told the guests (laughs) in times a day later. We just wanted to see how how many could do it. Okay, so that gave me a, a kind of an interesting jumping off point. And I was definitely curious about the local connection. So I managed to track down the article that they found this on. Uh, which was published on March 8th, 2017 by a guy named Zachary Crockett. He's a, you know, he's a journalist producing clickbait for various websites. And I found the same details pretty much word for word. However, on newspapers.com, I found an original, uh, an original report from a day after that contradicts some of the details there. So anytime you're reading a clickbait article, don't just take it for fact. You know, they did their research on, on Google, just like everybody else. And not, not everybody's as great at Googling as, as I am, obviously, I'm, I'm basically I've, I've got a near perfect record unless you ask Maurice and Diana, faithful listeners. Um, you should make all the news or all the clickbait, at least in the English speaking world. I should do all the news because I think it'd be really unfair to and culturally presu- chauvinistic <laughs> of me to demand that other people read the news in a language that only I can. I, it's like I'm making up Elvish. I made it sound like I'm like, I'll make them read it in Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I did find a couple. There, there were a couple details that were wrong in that write-up. Uh, the, they were only three minutes into the match, not 12 minutes. I think 12 minutes would be a pretty, like, if I'm 12 minutes into a tug-of-war match, you can just go ahead and put me out of my misery. That sounds like hell. <laughs> I was going to say, I would have <laughs> given up. on that for 12 minutes straight. Like I, ga- I gave up five minutes ago. I'm <laughs> pretending to hold the rope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this actually did happen. There was a severed thumb, the tips of two fingers and a and, and another finger were all amputated in the in the course of this accident. The stats that they had on the on the rope were a little bit off, but basically what I'm finding from not just that attempt but other 
incidents where there have been horrific tug of war injuries and they they are out there they they are they are out there and they are available for your perusal and also images um <laughs> in most cases according to the um US Tug of War Association which is the official governing body for all competitive tug of war the number one reason why there are major injuries like that is because people don't do proper planning and research and they end up using a nylon rope instead of a cotton woven rope because the nylon ropes when you pull them tight they stretch which creates kind of a rubber band bungee cord effect and when they snap it snaps back just like if you'd been pulling on a bungee cord and for some of these industrial strength ropes that they're using that are designed for, you know, 30,000 pounds of pressure. If you've now exceeded that, you now have 30,000 pounds of potential energy whipping towards you. And yes, that can cause very serious injuries, if not death. So just a couple, couple incidents that stood out was, you know, obviously there's that Harrisburg one. There's also a lot of cases where people have like looped the rope around their hands before the match starts. Mm, And then their hands get crushed and, torn off so do not do that there was a case in frankfurt germany where a 650 person match actually resulted in injury to 102 people and the deaths of two boys uh, as a couple boy scouts the the most horrific one and probably the one that inspired this question comes from october 20 uh, october 25th 1997 and these are coming from the same article that I just said had some bad details. So I did do a little bit of follow up. And the and the basic facts of these are, are generally correct. There's a Taiwan match in which the two inch thick nylon rope snapped and cut the arms off of the two lead men on either side. I did look that one up, especially because it is the clear inspiration for the question here. And uh, I accidentally in the course of doing this. I, I did see a picture of a severed arm, so I can confirm that ugh, a tug of war injury can cause somebody to lose a limb. Not my favorite part of the day. This is definitely the episode research that's going to disturb me so much that I regret seeing it. <laughs> don't repeat Ryan's mistake. He did this so you don't have to. <laughs> exactly. And don't repeat the mistake of using a nylon rope for a tug of war match. <laughs> right, which they clearly did. Yeah, so tug of war authorities actually recommend uh there's actually a company that makes ropes especially for especially for tug of war now. They try to use a basically a moisture wicking cotton fiber rope which if it starts to snap it's not going to it's not going to be as elastic as nylon. So <laughs> the potential danger is vastly reduced. <laughs> <laughs> you'll fall on your butt, maybe get some rope burns. That's what you expect going into a tug of war match. Maybe some blisters and rope burns. You're not, you're not expecting to have to have anything sewn back on. You keep mentioning the tug of war authority, the official governing body of tug of war matches. I, I feel like you and I at this point are, are just as qualified. We know everything that they know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do, sign me up. How do I get paid to do this? <laughs> I think it's honestly with an organization like that without a because because it's not a professional sport, although for a while and this is this is kind of it doesn't really label it a professional sport, but it was actually an Olympic event from 1900 to 1920. And the United States did rack up a lot of medals in the medal count. Hell yeah. (laughs) After which they probably said this is some baby ass shit. (laughs) Let's stop doing this and do some real sports like ski shooting, (laughs) which is which is real. (laughs) Ski, wait, ski shooting? Like ski shooting, the, the one where they, they do the cross country skiing and then they stop to shoot things. 
They don't shoot the skiers. <laughs> well, that's that's amazing. <laughs> though, though the, the 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 long jump, I think, would be a lot more interesting if people were taking pot shots. <laughs> well, that, yeah, well, that yeah, that is a combination of ski shooting and skeet shooting, right? Like, but the skiers are the skeet. <laughs> uh huh. And you know, we could do this in a safe way. We could set it up with like laser tag vests <laughs> and just put sensors on the skiers. And then their goal is to not get shot while doing sweet tricks. This could this this is this this idea has legs. This could work. Yeah, we and it can make the Olympics a more participatory. And people could even play from home potentially if we set it up with uh, if we set it up with a video game system. And you and I would be the official governing body of the laser <laughs> laser ski skeet shooting <laughs> <laughs> Olympic events. <laughs> Nobody loses arms in our sport is all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, it could happen. If you got people jumping off of ski ramps, like it could it could definitely happen. I don't want to I don't Okay, so the International Laser Ski Shooting Association does makes no claims as to the safety of this sport. <laughs> if improperly played and even if properly played, you could die. Alec Baldwin is not invited to participate. <laughs> no. <laughs> that guy needs to go to jail. And and I'll tell you why I have I have strong opinions about gun safety. If somebody sure. hands you a gun, you check to see if it's loaded. That's that's just basic shit right there. You know, one movie that I'm not going to regret not seeing rust. <laughs> so this, the fish in the background, what is what type of fish is that? Is that a pike? I think it's a barracuda for our listeners. Uh, Ian behind him does have a fish mounted to the wall. Yeah, and it's got teeth i think it's i mean the teeth i think are real teeth i if i've lost i've lost a few of them over the years um uh, because i've moved a lot I thought you said you flossed a few of them <laughs> well i do br- i have to brush the teeth right yeah i take better care of this thing's teeth than i do my own um i and i have to i have actually toyed with the idea of having it touched up by a local artist because you know, some of the scales are are painted. Um, I'm not sure if most yeah. of it is real. But anyway, I got this fish uh, at a white elephant party when I was a kid. I was like 12 or 13. <laughs> and uh, it was my stepmom's family's like th- shindig. And it was kind of bougie. Uh, and anyway, I won this. I won this barracuda. And uh, a, a woman approached <laughs> me and she was an interior decorator by trade. And she offered me sixty bucks for it, which is a lot of money for a kid. Nice, that'd be a that'd be a good get, but not as good as a stuffed barracuda on your wall. Yeah, I told her I I told her fuck no, and I kept that barracuda. I wanted it so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I've ever, I've never I've always had it hanging up in whatever shitty apartment. You know, now I've got a house, and it obviously adorns my guest bedroom slash recording studio. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think that's a nice statement piece. Thank you. Thank you. It says I'm a predator that can hold my breath. <laughs> uh, sh- you, this, mi- this may or may not shock you, but my wife hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why you have it in the guest room. I wanted to hang it up above the fireplace. <laughs> yes, that is an appropriate location for a stuffed fish. That's what I said. I, I'll tell you what, Ian. Hmm. Hmm. I will give you $75 <laughs> for your Barracuda. Not a chance, my friend. That is Not a 25% chance. more. <laughs> That's a pretty good return on my investment. 
<laughs> Do you think if I offered it to your wife, that that barracuda would disappear and you'd be and your your household would be seventy five dollars richer? She uh, she would wait till I was out of town and sell it to you at an instant. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, don't tell her, but I'd go as high as one twenty. <laughs> well, shit. I mean, if you would have given that same kid one hundred and twenty, he might have he might have parted parted ways. That's like two video games, man. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been your first that, that could have been your first microphone that's right just think if you'd gotten into podcasting 10 years earlier i'd be joe rogan by now <laughs> <laughs> that, that is not something that i wish on a good person no of course not. Joe, joe joe rogan is a complicated figure <laughs> <laughs> to say the least yeah complicated not complex there's a difference (laughs) so anyway uh let's say hypothetically speaking you have a friend who has lost a limb in a terrible terrible tug of war accident so anyway right what a a way to transition (laughs) i'm super good i'm super good at transitions what i do is i I just say a thing that happened before that i say the thing that's going to happen next (laughs) and whether those two things are related is irrelevant (laughs) I just love the casual, like, so anyway, imagine your best friend suffering a tragic incident. (laughs) (laughs) And then we're going to stop and have a good laugh about it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's actually kind of the topic of this joke, which comes from our Am I the Asshole, posted by user USA Franklin. And they want to know, am I the asshole for telling a disabled joke to a disabled person? First of all, I don't think a joke can be disabled. Uh, (laughs) I think you could have an ineffective joke. Your joke's not disabled. You're just not funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, for a lot of people, comedy is a crutch. So in social situations, I feel that I feel that. <laughs> so the context here is this guy was introduced to a friend of a friend and they are all motorcycle enthusiasts. And he looked at he looked at the guy and saw that he uh, that he was missing his right leg from the knee down and his left arm at the elbow. And they I guess they're talking about motors, but his first comment was, "You're riding that new BMW S1000, I see." And then the guy was like, "No, I have a Suzuki. I don't think the BMW made the S1000s when I was riding. Why do you think that?" And the guy said, "Because I heard they cost an arm and a leg." So his friend who's introducing them dies laughing the other guy leaves the pub and doesn't come back in and now has no interest in hanging out with him anymore so he wants to know is he really the asshole or is the guy overreacting to a friendly jab well ian i think i think we can approach this on two levels one we can answer the question as this person the asshole that's probably the most important question uh, is the guy overreacting? And then I guess the third the third question is, is that joke actually funny? Yeah. So is he the asshole? I feel like, yeah, I feel like, yes, you have to know someone pretty good if you're going to if you're going to punch down at them in this way. This is a friend of a friend. He barely knows this guy. Right. Like you have to have the yeah. foresight. Is the joke funny? I mean, I don't think the joke is funny, but it. I understand why the friend, the other friend died laughing uh, because it was perfectly set up. The guy literally asked, why do you why did you think that? Right. Like the guy, the guy fell into the joke formula, which is tried and true. It's tested by time is a perfect set for the punchline. Right. And and it's I think it's a structurally good joke. Yeah. It observes something in the environment. 
And then it makes you think about it in a different way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which from a, from a structural standpoint in comedy, that's a great approach. So kudos for the approach, but a big goose egg on the execution there. You got to know your audience is really the crux of it. Yeah. Yeah. So is the guy overreacting to a friendly jab? Maybe, but you're not friends. <laughs> Uh, what you have to do is you need to start populating your comedic Rolodex with things that are that are appropriate for acquaintancely jabs for all the disabled people that you want to make fun of that you just met. <laughs> right. You need hey. something a little bit more. You need something a little bit more tempered. Comedy. Hey, take it from us, y'all. Comedy isn't easy, right? Everyone thinks that comedy is easy. And then stuff like this happens. It's like you got to think about this stuff, man. And you know what, though? And, you know, we 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 tell a lot of jokes on our shows, but I think the difference between what this guy is doing and what we're doing is that uh, we have the opportunity to edit ourselves to be funny again. (laughs) (laughs) If something doesn't work, we just throw it away (laughs) or we leave it in to embarrass me. (laughs) (laughs) But no, it's absolutely not appropriate to make disabled jokes to disabled people, uh, even ones that you're really good friends with, because even though somebody might take it on the chin, it doesn't necessarily mean they're happy about it. True. Very true. Yeah. I think you really you really do need to know what the person's thinking and know what their boundaries are and let them make the joke first. And then if they make a joke, then you can make the joke. Now, that doesn't always work in other situations where you might be encountering somebody in a social situation where they have a different status than you in society or a different or a different place in society. So do not do not accept like this. This uh, philosophy doesn't always work for. Well, it doesn't it just doesn't always work? I was going to say it doesn't it doesn't work when when you're making racial jokes, which you shouldn't do anyway. They're not that funny. Even when you're making fun of racism, it it, it does not land with me anyway. Uh, jokes about sexuality. Eh, you have to know your audience and just be aware that a third party might be listening and not enjoy your joke so, so much. So better just skip it. Just stay away from it. Yes, this person is absolutely the asshole. Well, and they even mentioned that they don't drink. And so it's like you have the clarity of mind to avoid jokes like this or just like find other things <laughs> to say that are also funny. Right. Like there's always other jokes you could make. So sober people making bad decisions are always the most are, are, I find them the most disturbing. <laughs> it's just like you should absolutely know better. You just are the asshole. There's not even an excuse. <laughs> 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 well, and that's that's the thing. It's just like a lot of times it sounds like. The friend is also being cut off here for laughing. So apparently they're not close enough to make those kinds of jokes. And you just dropped one in there. So, yeah, yeah, I I think this person has absolutely gotten what they deserve. The person that they've made fun of is under absolutely no social obligation to forgive and forget or even ever see them again. Uh, And I believe you dropped a topic in the notes. It's actually kind of related to this. This is another. Am I the asshole? Am I the asshole for asking a disabled person to move seats on the bus for my child? I was on the bus with my five-year-old daughter when we got on at a busy stop. There were no empty seats available except for one near a person using a wheelchair. I asked the person if they could move their wheelchair to another spot so that my daughter and I could sit together, but the person declined, saying that they needed the space for their mobility device. I was taken aback and frustrated by this response. I explained to them that my daughter was very young and needed to sit next to me for safety reasons, but they still refused to move. I ended up having to stand. Oh, 
for the entire ride with my daughter in tow, which was <laughs> uncomfortable and tiring for both of us. When I told a friend what happened, they said the I was humanity. being insensitive and ableist. <laughs> or they pointed out that the person in the wheelchair had a right to the space they needed and that it was unfair of me to ask them to move. <laughs> Now I'm questioning whether or not I was in the wrong. Uh, uh, am I the asshole for asking a disabled person to move seats on the bus for my child? Okay. <laughs> so, wow. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, but I, I would like to point out that this is posted by user salesman sellout. So <laughs> or it could be salesman sellout. <laughs> you know, sometimes there are people who are out there credit farming by making themselves look like a huge asshole. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, troll right. farming, I guess. Yeah. So I, I guess, like, I think where, where I'm going to start with this, let, let's, let's get down to the am I the asshole part. Am I the asshole for asking a disabled person to move seats on the bus for my child? No, you're not. I don't think that you're the asshole for asking. Yeah. I think you're the asshole for being taken aback and frustrated by the response. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anytime, I mean, anytime you ask a question, you should be open to either answer. You shouldn't be like, otherwise you're just giving a command yeah. with bullshit politeness, you know? Uh, and, and in this case, the expectation that somebody in a wheelchair should move out of the designated handicap area to make you comfortable because there's, there's no reason there's an open seat next to this wheelchair, according to, according to the question asker. So right. There's plenty of room for the five-year-old to sit there, and then you can just stand next to the five-year-old. So this is really about giving her a seat, not her child. Right. And I think that I think that makes her the asshole because there was no need for her to even ask. Which, you know, I don't know, as an almost 32-year-old, almost the same age as this poster, um, I, I, after a long day of walking, you know, even with a child, maybe, maybe her knees, maybe their knees hurt. You know, maybe they just wanted to sit very okay. badly. But then even then, like, have the kids sit in your fucking lap. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a five year old <laughs> <laughs> or make the kids. Stay. Uh, and I, I would like to point out that the, the the poster did write that the wheelchair person was a 40 year old man. I'm turning 40 next week. And <laughs> I like there, there's a possibility that the 40 year old man's not hasn't had a catastrophic disability. He might just be 40 and need a wheelchair. <laughs> like your body starts falling apart and it's, <laughs> we could reenact this. How old is your kid? <laughs> I've got a couple, I've got a, I've got an 11 and nine and a two and a half year old, hmm. but I've also got uh, my, my, my adopted sister. My, my parents have adopted a little girl. She's five years old. I, I cannot bring myself to get onto a crowded bus and ask somebody in a wheelchair to move off of a handicapped spot. Uh, but I think it's, I think it's great that she included the age, the age and gender of the person in the wheelchair, because that means she stopped to interview him on the way out. She's like, how old are you? I'm going to put this on Reddit. We're going to get to the bottom of who the asshole is here. And I'm sure his response was, I'm a 40 male and I look forward to seeing your post. <laughs> Um, I, so I have a young dad and my dad was going to school in downtown Atlanta when I was a kid. So I spent a fair amount of time. I think time. the kids are calling them DILFs now, but <laughs> I have a DILF. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I just now, got DILF at the house. <laughs> uh, so I spent a lot of, I spent a fair amount of time on public transportation when I was a kid. Um, you know, whether it was going to the aquarium, you know, whatever the things my dad took me to do. Yeah. And part of even with a kid, part of getting on public 
transportation as a parent is understanding that you might have to stand, right? Like it is part of teaching your kid how to use public transportation. Or leave your child somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you might just lose a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you lose a kid. Like that's just the reality of the situation. That's inner city life, man. That's just how it goes. <laughs> you can read all about it in my new book, Drunk Dad, Sober Dad. <laughs> when a sober dad loses his kid on a bus, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even have the excuse. <laughs> it's like when, when drunk dad loses the kid on the bus, he just shrugs. He goes, I was a little bit drunk. And then his wife, like she kind of cocks her head to the side and goes, oh, Pete. <laughs> And then they throw their heads back and laugh and there's a freeze frame and the credits roll. This would be a great sitcom. I love it. Just drunk, drunk dad, sober dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go ahead. We're going to we're going to I I think we're ready to render a final judgment on this one. Like this person is definitely an asshole. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everything that went into <laughs> this is just asshole. Like, I don't think it's an asshole move to ask somebody if they're willing to move. But once you get that answer, you just have to accept it. Like, you can't be mad about it. And guess what? It was a packed bus, which means there were people who were in non-handicapped seats that could have gotten up and moved. And she went right for the person in the wheelchair because they were next to an empty seat that she could have put her daughter in and then just stood by her. So, yeah, huge huge asshole move. Yeah. Hold on to the bars. Just stand. And I, I like to like in this fiction, I like to think that she got home to her boyfriend or husband who happens to be really into tuning motorcycles and making fun of disabled people. He just met <laughs> like power couple right there. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be nice if we had like a city where all the assholes had to live <laughs> together in harmony and <laughs> <in> disharmony? <laughs> oh, God, that city probably exists. It's, it might be Boston. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm just trying to think of like, which, which, which city has the reputation for being the most, like being filled with the most assholes. Like, obviously, if we're going for a state, it would be Texas. But if we're going for a city, it's probably Boston. I mean, the term masshole exists, right? <laughs> so. For a reason. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that I've told this story before. It, it's not Massachusetts. It's it's New Hampshire, which is may as well just be Massachusetts. <laughs> Do we need New Hampshire? I mean, aside from Democratic control of Congress. <laughs> actually, they, they, they tend to be a pretty conservative New England state as, as New England states go. But I was driving back from uh, a trip to Maine with a, a friend of mine who happens to be from the South. So this is not a asshole Northeasterner thing. This is an asshole Southeasterner thing. Uh, he's <laughs> from the Atlanta area. And like. I-95 coming down from Maine is just a series of tolls and New Hampshire just just tears apart your wallet there. There it's just like a dollar here, two dollars there. And if you don't have easy pass, you're screwed. And we were driving a rental vehicle and we had no easy pass. So we're running out of money. We got just enough cash to get to the next exit. So we pull off the exit. We go fill up on gas. We get money out of the ATM and then we, you know, this is like a 30 minute detour to go get gas and money because of just the way things worked out with the route. And we're coming back through and the toll booth worker, he goes, that'll be, you know, he's like, that'll be three bucks. And my (laughs) friend says, hands him a $20 bill. He's like, "Uh, do you have anything smaller? And my friend loses it at this point because he's a fiery Southerner. He goes, 
Don't you think if I had a smaller bill, I'd give you a smaller bill? <laughs> and the guy and, and, and the toll worker gets real quiet and he's just he starts it's like, well, you don't gotta be fucking rude about it. And then he leans in and with his with his hand and just drops the change in the vehicle. Not nice. like hands it to him, just drops the change in the vehicle and he goes, Here's your fucking change. <laughs> and then my friend just goes, I deserve that. And he drives away. And he absolutely deserved it. He just yelled at this poor toll booth worker right. for asking if he had smaller bills. <laughs> right. That person doesn't like their job. <laughs> like, I don't know who the bigger asshole in that situation is. I, I, I suspect it's my friend. Mm-hmm. But it just goes to show the 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 level of weaponization that assholishness has come to in the Northeast, where this guy was fully, fully prepared. <laughs> fully prepared. To, to put somebody in their place. Right. <laughs> There's just something special happening up in New England when it comes to like honing your assholeness. Like, like they, they've got real sharp buttholes up there. <laughs> <laughs> I do respect your buddy's ability to be like, yeah, I deserve that. <laughs> just kind of move on. I, I, I mean, he, he's from the South. He knows about being polite. He, he, he was raised with manners. Mm-hmm. He knows. Mm-hmm. And, and he is a very charming Southern gentleman. In Sounds his like moments, it. but he is he is prone to outbursts. <laughs> uh, uh, but if I have one friend who's never actually, that's not true. I, I was gonna I was gonna pivot to say that Rick Reynolds isn't an asshole, um, but he actually I, I have a note from Rick that I got before. So we we used to work together. Uh, I hired him as a bartender uh, at at a, at a brewery that I worked at, and. He, he gave me a note that, you know, when, when I was parting ways and, you know, he thanked me for, you know, being being a friend and he apologized for all the times he was an asshole. And then I thought about it. And it's just like, you know what? I've never seen Rick be an asshole and wrong at the same time. He is always correct to be upset and confrontational when he is upset and confrontational. And like, that's a pretty good record. Yeah. The guy's batting a thousand. Shows good judgment. Most of the time, because I don't know that it's good judgment to allow us the use of his song United from the album Portals in Progress, uh, which you can find on Amazon, iTunes and Spotify. Uh, Just the mere association, the whiff of association with this show is a huge mistake on Rick's part, but it's one that came from a good place. So we forgive him. (laughs) Uh, Ian, do you have any uh, social media that you'd like to share? Ah, yes. You can follow me at I-A-N-M-A-U-L-D-I-N on the Twitter and you can follow my podcast at Shrimp and Crits, shrimpandcrits.com, fondofmelobster.com if you're nasty. Uh, and uh, yeah, check us out. <laughs> and I design games uh, a little bit and I edit podcast. I do all kinds of weird stuff. So if you are into that kind of thing, come follow me on Twitter and we'll we'll talk. We'll hang out. We'll mosey on together. Yeah. And uh, for anybody who's interested, Shrimp and Crits is currently they they. You know, we've mentioned it on the show, but they recently wrapped up their first season and now they're in an experimental phase. And Katie, who you may remember from our uh, Don't Spook Yourself 2 Halloween episode, uh, is running their current arc, which is a game of Absurdia, which is a fantastic little RPG built around uh, shows like Welcome to Night Vale or Gravity Falls or even... What is what are some other Alice in Wonderland? Alice in Wonderland. Anything where yeah. there's some sort of surrealistic fiction. By all means, tune in and enjoy. 
Yeah, and Katie's doing a phenomenal. Katie's never even GM'd uh, in in a in a like a friend game before, so I admire her courage and her aptitude. I mean, she's really great. First time GM being recorded for the masses is not something that I would put myself through. <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> but she's doing a fantastic job so far. So definitely tune in and check it out. You can find me individually on the internet on Instagram and Twitter. Mostly not posting at Foodicide. That's F-O-O-D-I-C-I-D-E. Most of the content on there is pictures of food that I've already eaten. <laughs> you can find the podcast on all the social media platforms that matter and also Twitter at WreckYourPod. And you can send us emails, WreckYourPod at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us chatting away on the Podcast Nexus Discord server. You'll find a link to that in the show notes. You'll also find a link to our Patreon page, which is www.fondlemelobster.com, uh, <laughs> the Shrimp and Crits Patreon page parody. <laughs> <laughs> I love that this is a meta uh, a meta joke that is only for like three people and it's all just us. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you want to be in on this joke, you have to be watching all of these shows. You, you have to you have to gather up all these threads and weave it and weave the comedy together to truly appreciate it. We're we're basically making a quilt for you here that you can wrap around yourself. It's it's warm. It should be reassuring and warm and thoughtful. Feels very nice. Like your Nana would make. It feels so nice. If she nasty. <laughs> nasty Nana making quilts. <laughs> <laughs> so if between now and next week you find yourself lining up for a tug of war match and you're not sure if your rope is U.S. Tug of War Association approved and you don't have time to wait for our next episode, we encourage you to check yourself. Don't wreck yourself. We are united, but we're so far apart And it won't change till we change We are, but we won't Oh